sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Today's guest has spent her career travelling the world working in sport. Starting at USA Rugby as the team services coordinator, Alice Larkworthy has spent the majority of her career working in the commercial partnerships areas in organisations such as the Queensland Reds and Football Federation Australia. As the current senior partner services manager for the Arsenal Football Club, Alice now uses her experience to lead a team of people to build strong relationships and maximise opportunities to develop partnerships and drive the implementation of core business strategies. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the podcast, Alice. Welcome, Alice. Thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. We'll start with our question that we always ask everyone Mm. on the show, which is, what is your early... So I grew up in a sport mad family, to be honest. So I don't really remember much of a time where sport wasn't in our lives in kind of any any capacity. I think I grew up overseas mainly, a bit of an, an expat brat. So sport and kind of English sport in particular was kind of our one connection to kind of back home and our families and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it's always played a massive, massive part. I think in terms of attending sport, when we lived in the in Hong Kong, sorry, the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, I think would be my my first memory or, or really kind of fond memory of sport. Obviously, a little bit different from when I first started attending to when I ended up starting attending in kind of my mid my mid twenties. But um, my first time at the Hong Kong Sevens, I was actually six weeks old. So that actually probably has to be my first sporting memory, although I can't remember it. Um, and we kind of continued to go for the, for the next 30 years. So it's sort of my first and, and I guess one of my fondest sporting memories as well. I love that you mentioned there how it connected you to your family and your family roots, obviously, as you were traveling the world. It's probably something we haven't touched on about the emotion of sport and how that can, you know, bring your family closer together. Did you find that was reality when you were traveling the world? Yeah, I think sort of sport has this way of connecting people, whether it's a conversation topic, a conversation starter or an argument, right? There's always kind of, you know, that that sort of commonality that you can you can talk about sport wherever you are in the world. There's obviously a real kind of tribal nature when you kind of talk about countries and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was kind of just a way of maintaining my nationalism when I was, you know, overseas. And like you sort of say, if you speak to your grandparents back home, it was all about the rugby or the football or, you know, my dad and my mum will always, you know, support England, Britain, whoever it is, and kind of the Olympics. And it is, it's just kind of that that commonality that you have. And I guess that way of kind of holding on to, you know, our, our Britishness, even though we were in Japan, Hong Kong, Australia, where wherever we were, really. And what was it that led you to get involved in working in sport? So, I, I mean, I, I've always been obsessed with sport. I think I sort of said, like, I wasn't really given much choice in my family. But I originally wanted to go down the physio route. That was my plan. I went to uni to do physiology and sports science. So that was definitely the route I was planning on going down. And then I got to kind of my second year and I just was a bit like, no, this isn't for me anymore. I sort of still knew I wanted to be involved in sport and that's where my one true passion lie. But 
I guess the the science and rehab element of it, albeit interesting, it just sort of didn't start to resonate with me like it used to. So I had to kind of figure out pretty quickly what what else I wanted to do. Obviously, my parents hot on my heels being like, you know, you're going into your third year of uni. <laughs> Now's the time to kind of actually sort of properly think about it. I, w- I mean, I was fortunate. There was a lot of luck along the way. I, you know, I fully will hold my hands up with that. In I had an interview for a banking internship at, at Barclays which was obviously maybe just perceived as something to do in a summer off as opposed to something I actively wanted to do but within that interview it came up that their sponsorship team was looking for an intern that summer and would that be more of interest to me which obviously it was Barclays at the time with a sponsorship uh, sponsor sorry of the Premier League so it kind of I just fell into it that way and that was my first real sort of experiencing on the commercial side of sport and seeing kind of another another lens of it and then I just kind of continued from there I I, you know I've always been really keen on getting experience in multiple different fields I think you know especially when you're you know early 20s you want to make sure that you kind of are making as right a decision as you can at that time so that's when I then did another internship at at USA Rugby which was more event-based which they had a bunch uh, a big kind of rugby competition that that happened happened there so again it's kind of just opening your eyes up to all the sorts of different things that are really kind of available to you in the world of sport and I think those opportunities especially in the last kind of couple of years have only have only grown. Was that internship with the USA Rugby did you go to the US for that one what was that experience like? Yeah so my parents were actually living in in Colorado at the time so again it was just you know convenience head of USA Rugby was based in Boulder which was just you know close by to sort of Denver so I just wrote to them, asked if they wanted an intern and, and, you know, that's kind of how it came about. So, again, it's probably just one of those making the most of the opportunities. And I think the key one is putting yourself out there, right? Like, I mean, if you don't sort of, you know, just put your hand up, say yes to anything, you know, you're not big enough for anything, then you're not really going to probably be in the position that when I was coming to getting my first job out of uni, I was kind of three years ahead of a lot of people because I'd spent my summers interning and learning and kind of really honing in on exactly what I wanted to do which just put me in a in a better stead for when it kind of came to that first first job. Yeah I love a couple of things that you said there the first one around you know not knowing what you wanted to do and you you know you started off in Barclays Bank and then you've ended up working in commercial partnerships and you know not everyone's I guess path is the same and then obviously putting your hand up for anything and you actually having the courage to just approach other organizations and say hey I'm here can I have a a summer working with you is one of the best things that you can do when you are either at uni or coming out of uni I think. A hundred percent a hundred percent and I think most you know, especially like most of us live in cities or close by to cities that run various different sporting events throughout the year, right? And they're always going to be looking for for volunteers. And I don't think it really, you know, as much as those kind of more like vocational internships are really important in getting that step on the ladder. I also think just opening your eyes to, you know, just if you're a kit person at a event, or if you're you know, just volunteering to help with travel, like whatever it kind of ends up in any capacity. For me, as now someone who would, you know, hire people and and hire people in that kind of, especially that junior level, if they can demonstrate that they're sort of, you know, willing to kind of put their hand up and try different things and, and kind of volunteer and kind of just really show that dedication to wanting to be a part of this world, 
that can sometimes go so much further than maybe someone who's been, you know, doing something for the last couple of years, but kind of maybe staying in their lane. Yeah, it's always good advice when you're at uni, you're just coming out to take up many different sort of opportunities. I remember when I was coming out of uni, I really wanted to just work in basketball because it was what I knew. And my lecturer at the time was like, no, you need to do something different. It was the best thing that I ever did. You now work for one of the biggest sporting organisations in the world and potentially one of the most, um, arguably one of the most well-known sporting brands in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to get there and what your role currently entails? Yeah, so I've obviously worked in kind of commercial partnerships and that sort of relationship management piece, especially over the last the last 10 years. I moved to Arsenal, oh gosh, I've been there like nearly six years now. So firstly, just went in as a, as a partner services manager, which was just the day-to-day management. I had a, had a set of uh, a set of accounts that I, I worked off and kind of serviced on a day-to-day with sort of two execs underneath me that we, that we helped. And then about three years ago, I moved into my current role, um, which essentially oversees all of our partners outside of Emirates and, and Adidas. So currently that's, 19 partners that kind of sit within my remit got a team of of seven that kind of manage all of that sort of stuff on on a day-to-day basis but the key thing for my role is obviously the various kind of different ad hoc projects excuse me that that come up is maintaining or make making sure that we're maintaining that consistent level of servicing across all of our of all of our partners it doesn't really matter the size fee we get paid whatever it is we uphold the same level of servicing for for all of our partners so it's important to kind of have that wider view on things which yeah it's super interesting no two days are the same i think especially in the last year or what is it year 14 months or so I've taken the lead on all of our kind of COVID management so that's been something that I guess no one expected let alone me to have to be a part of the the process but you know we've had to take a pretty a pretty ongoing changing approach to what we're doing with our with our partners across our kind of men's and our women's teams we obviously want to make sure that we can still service our partners the best of our ability but our hands are tied in in a lot of capacity. So we've spent a lot of the year being creative, working with partners. Every partner has had their own different challenges. So how can we actually help them? How can we still kind of deliver as much as we can for them by still kind of building the brand and kind of build, telling the story? Because the the thirst for what we're doing is still there. You know, people are sat at home, and you know, football especially has been been an outlet for people being able to to watch it kind of day in day out and still have that. I guess slight normality to their to their lives even though they're not going to the games and stuff like that so it's making sure that we can kind of maintain that build on that at a time when you know people people want to see it and people want to hear about it sounds really interesting so you mentioned that you moved from being an account manager so (laughs) managing partnerships and you're now leading a team that obviously do that as well how have you found that leadership journey i think we've all probably worked with good leaders, bad leaders, you know, and I think it's important to constantly just take little bits from all of them, no matter no matter what it is. I've, you know, I've been fortunate to sort of work under multiple different people across the world. So I've managed to kind of, I think, build what I think a, a solid leader is. And I think the journey for me is really working out what you want to be is. You know, as much as I sort of say it's really important to like look at what you like and don't like about various different managers, I think you still have to remain authentically, naturally yourself, right? So, you know, I work in a fairly male-dominated world, but that doesn't mean I'm going to 
changed the way that I will always wear my heart on my sleeve. I will always be open and honest with people. Those are things that are really important to me as an individual. And I think that's also a really kind of keen point of difference that people need to to hold on to. I think if you are working for people or have people working for you that can see you're open and genuine, I don't see why you think you'd get anything other than the best out of people in in that situation. So for me, that's that's probably the, the key thing. I think you're always learning, right? The people element of any leadership role is intricate. It's challenging. It's changeable on a day to day basis. And I think, you know, being able to sort of maintain your sort of leadership style by still allowing those people to be themselves and kind of express themselves in different ways, just because they would do something one way that's different to mine doesn't mean it's wrong so sometimes you've got to you know maybe hold your tongue but just let them kind of play that play that out a little bit and I think that that's really key key for me that authentically you part like a lot of great leaders reflect on that I reckon later like you know further down in their career where they say at the start I was trying to be someone else or I thought I had to be this particular type of person and then I come into my my best self I guess when I realized that I should just be myself do you reckon that was an aha moment for you as well or is that something that you've just sort of felt comfortable with straight away I think I've always been fairly comfortable and confident in my ability throughout I mean everyone goes through wobbles right especially when you're kind of maybe slightly younger figuring out you're going to make mistakes I've made just as many mistakes I'm not kind of saying I'm perfect here but I've always kind of I think really known my effort and everything I was trying to do was in the right place so I think if you've got that sort of confidence in yourself it then just builds and kind of as you're given more responsibility and more opportunities that sort of you know affirmation of what you're doing is is also is also there but i i think i've also just it's just you know been how i've been for a while right i also you know again this isn't all the time but i think the majority of the time particularly in my work i just don't i don't really take on board what people think of me as as a negative because i think you know if you if you're going into those sort of personal feelings you know, I treat everyone the same, whether, you know, whatever level you are, whatever kind of person you are, we've all come across various different people. I think it's, you know, if you're maintaining, you know, the way that you treat people with with respect and honesty, I think there's no kind of really other way to, to go in that. Spot. And so I think that's why I'm confident that that's the way that I handle people. That's the way I deal with things. It's got me this far. So it hopefully, I mean, maybe ask other people, but hopefully it can't be too bad so far. <laughs> I think it sounds like a great approach and you have packed a lot into your career so far. So what would you um, say would have been your biggest challenge within your career in sport to date? If there is just one, there might be a couple. Oh, yeah, we probably don't, don't have enough time. Yeah. But, um, yes. No, I think I think the last year, to be honest, I think has been has been really tough. And I say that actually not from the work perspective. I say that from the people side of things, having to kind of manage a team who are all going through different things, all having to be virtually, you know, I think it's actually trying to maintain spirits and positivity and all that sort of stuff has been really hard because I'm, you know, I'm you know many of my team if they're having a crap day it's like right let's just go to the pub let's just go have a drink or look you just need a bit of an afternoon off go and you know do whatever you need to do but you can't do that at the moment so I think having that sort of you know relationship with people has been quite testing to try and work out what this new sort of normal relationship looks like and making sure that 
you know, everyone has felt this last year emotionally, but I think from a work perspective, we haven't stopped being busy since, you know, March last season for whatever, whatever reason. So, you know, everyone kind of wants to do the best of their job, but it's also just getting quite hard. You know, I think everyone is sort of at various different stages the last year, being at the end of their tether, whether that's, you know, dealing with family, dealing with work, dealing whatever it is. So having to, I guess, have those kind of conversations with multiple different people on a daily basis, when I have to maintain that positivity, right? Like, I, I don't want to be going in and being like, yeah, it's all crap, because it is crap. I don't need to tell you everything's crap. But, you know, trying to kind of make sure that people are still feeling you know, worthwhile in what they're doing, you know, making them feel heard, making them feel kind of wanted. Um, we had to go through a process mid last year, a redundancy process because of what the pandemic had had done for us. So it's been a really, it's been a tough old slog, I think, that on that kind of side of things. The work stuff has been going, it's been manic, but you can almost like compartmentalise that a little bit, right? You can kind of put that to one side when, when the day's over. But you know, I really kind of care about the people I work with. So you kind of carry that sort of stuff, you know, from from day to day. And you just want, you know, to make people happy and to try and keep them happy, which just, you know, hasn't hasn't been possible the last year. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. The first thing you mentioned with challenge was your care for your team and your other people. And I did, you know, your ability to empathise with what people are going through and try and support and motivate them through this year while you've been um, no doubtedly going through it yourself and I read an article maybe a few months ago that said that you know the skill sets that women bring into the workplace are actually shining throughout the pandemic because it is things like empathy motivating emotionally connected to your your team members so yeah I think now more than ever over the last 12 months we've all had to show a bit of empathy for all our colleagues whatever that whatever the situation is that they're going through hundred percent absolutely now that you've mentioned your your challenges what do you find the most rewarding part of working in sport well I think you know if you if you're working in something that you're super passionate about I think it's sort of most days you kind of have to pinch yourself and you remind yourself how lucky you are to be in the situations that you are I think the experiences that are presented with you kind of whether you're on a positive or negative receiving end of a result whatever it is but various finals when I was working on the Olympics I got to go to the men's 100 meter final and and kind of see that so there's there's just those sort of like intangible things that will always be there which is incredible and I think for like I'm saying it's a bit of a sport nut like I'll go watch anything and just kind of be intrigued by it just to be in a crowd and, and you know be in various different kind of major tournament atmosphere whatever it is so for me that's that kind of being able to also express a part of me that I enjoy attending events is also is is kind of really important because you can feel you know if you work in football day in day out and stuff like that like going to the football every week is a bit like okay seven days of my week is filled with football which some people would love and I do love it but every now and then it's like actually I'd love to just go to an event and not look at the LED boards or like not look at the signage do you know what I mean just to like actually just go and intrinsically enjoy a sporting event again so when I get those moments that that for me is 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 priceless yeah absolutely I'm a bit the same like I even if it's a sport that I may not be a fan of I love going just for the event and, and the atmosphere and things like that 
Which probably brings us to our next question, because you've been fortunate enough to work um, in sport basically all around the world. So you've had jobs in Australia, obviously back in the UK. Now you mentioned your experience in the US. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the different environments were like? What was some of the similarities and the key differences and how you found that? Yeah, I guess, I mean, Australia is the, I guess the fandom for sport in Australia is huge, right? Like, but then we're talking probably a finite amount of sports that people give their 100% to just in terms of what you're kind of consuming and watching on a on a day-to-day day-to-day basis so I think that comes when I was working for football that was obviously a bit of a challenger sport in that kind of wider context of you know your top you know, your Aussie rules your rugby league etc which was a really unique position to be in because you could kind of football in the UK, for example, is very well established. Everyone kind of has their ways of doing things. Whereas in Australia, you could kind of really try a few things out and sort of see what would hit because you're still trying to build out what that fan base even looks like. Right. So I think, you know, the participation for football or soccer and stuff in Australia was huge. The numbers were massive. But then as soon as they get older, they obviously trickle out into playing kind of those other those other key sports. So it was a different probably challenge when you're talking about the commercialization of football in Australia, especially just because you're trying to bridge that gap in that kind of mid-teen range where they maybe kind of drop off. And then there was another level of people who watch the Premier League and, and kind of European football on a weekly basis wouldn't necessarily watch the A-League or the W-League or whatever it is. They kind of would wake up at 3 a.m. on a Monday to watch a, you know, fairly non like major football game, but they wouldn't necessarily go down to their local team and and kind of watch it that way. So definitely, if we're talking about football specifically, some unique kind of differences in that. I think that's that's obviously changing. I know football in Australia again is is kind of going through a bit of a, a remodel at the moment. I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see, obviously, with the Women's World Cup coming in a few years, I think that will be kind of the impetus that they need to kind of really start to get a hold of that, a hold of that fan base and kind of really start to capitalise on that. I think the general, I guess, commercialisation of sport, when I talk about my kind of work here, is is just it's a little bit more international just because we talk about the the audiences that are that are consuming the Premier League specifically we're talking about every single corner of the of the world right so there's kind of different challenges that come with that you know the knowledge of various different international markets is is kind of key in my role specifically but i think there's also just the level of people that kind of i would say if you're in australia the people who are committed to some sort of sport is pretty high, right? Like you're probably talking 80, 90% of the population will have some active interest in some sort of sporting body. Here, I think people would focus maybe on one sport and that's what they put their entirety into. So they'd be a big football fan, but not necessarily a rugby fan, but there would be a big, you know, tennis fan, but not necessarily a basketball fan. Whereas I think in Australia, it's like, yeah, I watched the cricket in the summer, I watch the, you know, rugby league and I watch the rugby union and I watch it all at the same time. Like it's sort of just constantly all consuming. So again, it's kind of positives and negatives in either way. But you just got to work out, I guess, the differences of how people are consuming whatever sport you're sort of referring to, because then that in turn will obviously just talk about or tailor how you kind of talk to them about it. You mentioned there about, especially in your current role, where you've got to deal with a lot of international audiences, and I guess, and Arsenal being such a big brand, it makes sense. How have you found that experience? Do you find that you've got to, you know, when you're speaking to people in certain countries, you've got to communicate in a completely different way? And um, I'm sure it can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. 
Absolutely. I think there's, I mean, there's always going to be different ways that you talk to different partners on an individual basis, right? Depending on personalities, let alone when we're talking about personalities, cultural differences, all sorts of, all sorts of things. So for me, obviously, personally, having kind of grown up in that sort of international world where every three years I'd kind of move to a different country, I kind of feel like I fall back on a lot of that experience. I think it sort of really helped me in the fact that it's you've got to find common ground with someone immediately but also kind of be kind of very understanding to all sorts of different you know cultural sensitivities whether we're dealing with some of our partners who are in Egypt versus our partners who are in the US like there's there's some clear differences there in the way that we even present or we even talk to people so I think again it's just you know you're having to kind of constantly be aware you're having to constantly learn about about different places and that kind of also just comes with actually us working with the partners as well i'm not going to go into it and be like i know exactly how to deal with this sort of society this sort of individual we rely on them a lot as well to kind of give us the feedback about how maybe things work in their business and their country etc and it's kind of just really important to to take all of that all of that on board and kind of respect that at the same time yeah, it sounds like you, you're you learning on the job and you sound like, you know, there's lots going on. How do you, I guess, continue to learn for yourself, whether it's, you know, learning more about a certain subject or potentially leadership or whether it is just expanding your horizons into the um, international partnerships area? Yeah, I think, I think one of the key things I would always tell any kind of the junior members of my team is just to ask questions, right? Like, don't just take the first answer you get and think, that people are going to look differently or look down on you if you want a follow-up question or just want some kind of clarity on something. I think for me, by asking those questions inevitably opens up 100 million other questions, which you then maybe have to kind of take away and kind of build upon. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that always talk about being an expert in your field and kind of understanding everything. I don't, I think it's really important to be up to date and knowledgeable in everything we do, whether that's digital marketing, whether that's events, whatever it is. But I also think you need to be intelligent and confident enough to hold your hands up sometimes and be like, this isn't my remit, right? I don't necessarily know about this. I'll go and find out more about it or I'll go and make sure that I speak to the relevant individual who can who can kind of tell me about it. So I think, especially in the last year, digital marketing space in, in general, I think has sort of gone through the roof. I think it will continue to do that. I guess my concern is just working out what space that leaves people everyone's kind of doing the same thing you might as well not be doing it right if it's just going to kind of get lost I think so we're, we've spent a lot of time this year working on our kind of paid spend strategy and our kind of social strategy and, and kind of the targeting side of it um, because I think that will come more and more important obviously over the next kind of couple of months if we're sort of speaking to the relevant audience rather than going out and you know speaking to millions of people actually speaking to that smaller audience is going to be more beneficial in the long run but we need to make sure that in order to talk a partner into speaking to 10% of our whole audience, because they obviously come into a partnership with Arsenal being like, great, I can speak to every single Arsenal fan in the world. But actually, that might not do what you want it to do. And I think that, especially this last year, has been even more obvious, right? Like if you speak to a really engaged, connected group of that audience, the conversion that you're going to get from that 
or the affinity that you're going to get from that is going to be far greater and outweigh anything that just if you went to kind of the the wider audience so we need to also get a little bit more clever and a little bit more cute in those areas and kind of understanding that and i think that's that's an area that all of us are, are kind of also just trying to work out at the moment as well yeah covid's definitely changed the the way in which we operate when um, you think about yourself um, in your own career, where to next? What do you think the future might hold for Alice in five or ten years' time? It's a good question. It's a good <laughs> question. I think, you know, what this last year has done, I think especially, I think I've put a lot of my own ambitions on hold in terms of I also haven't probably really thought that much about it because I'm just really trying to get through what this moment in time looks like. You know, I I sort of I'm always going to be open to an opportunity. I will always be involved in commercial partnerships in sport in in some capacity, but I've never been sort of super fixed to working in football or working in one sport or or whatever. I think it's really important to kind of keep your eyes open. But I think like you said, I mean it's been a pretty mentally exhausting year just to get by as <laughs> as it is. So I think that you know the next step is is kind of working out for me you know what my long-term you know ambitions and and plans are and I think that will come when we sort of maybe go into a bit more normality and the world kind of opens up in in, you know a bit I'm fully grateful to be where I am at the moment I've, I've got a job which is more than you know a lot of people have managed to say over the over the last year so you know, I'm well aware of how fortunate I am. Um, and I really just want to make the best of the opportunity that I've got and kind of the people people around me. And then whatever's meant to be will be. We'll follow after that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been a pretty big 12 months for everyone. And obviously over in the UK, you, you're just coming out of lockdown, which is nice. So we hope that you can get some crowds uh, back to a few games at the end of the season. I think you said before before we um went live that you're hoping to get 10,000 to some of the last games. So we wish you all the best in that. But just before we finish up, a question that we always ask is, what are the top three tips that you would give a budding female sport administrator just starting out? Uh, I think the number one for me is say yes to everything in a work sporting capacity. <laughs> but I think, you know what, like always put your hands up to like, you know, put yourself in a position where you're being given the opportunities to try new things do not stay in your lane because I think especially if you're young and junior you don't want to necessarily be typecast or kind of pigeonholed super early and I can't begin to tell you about you know exposing yourself to kind of different sports and different roles within it will all come back in a positive way when you do land that kind of final role being able to kind of draw on all those different experiences is um is really really important and I think most sport entertainment even as a wider field there's so much crossover now so anything you can do to kind of build your knowledge and making sure that you're mirroring and kind of enhancing whatever sort of world you're in I think is is really important I think it's also um I sort of speak to a lot of a lot of sort of young women who ask me about working in a male-dominated field and you know all this you know how do I feel and all that sort of stuff I think I've never let it be a problem I, I you know I don't know if that's a you know naive way of looking at it because I you know I realize I'm fortunate but I've just sort of it's never had to have been a conversation for me because I've never let it I've always put myself in a position where I know I've been the most qualified I know I've been the most prepared I know I've been the most knowledgeable I've sat in rooms of 20 men me being the only one and I sort of you know you have to make your voice heard but I still want to maintain who I am as an individual so I'd sort of say 
there's a reason why you're in that room or you're in the position that you're in hold on to that make sure you don't lose it and just remain confident because it's you know easier said than done I realize but if you've got that sort of innate confidence and trust in what you're saying everyone else will also be 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 with you on that Uh, I I don't know if that's three But it is definitely the perfect thing to end on. I hope our listeners can latch onto your confidence because it's definitely inspiring. And I know that there'll be lots of people that pick up on some of your tips. So thank you so much for joining us, Alice. And good luck with the rest of the season and coming out of lockdown. I hope life gets a bit more normal for you. Thank you so much, Alice. Thank you for having me. All the best. Let's talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.